Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is June 29th, 2015, and this is episode 128. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, you're probably doing it at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible that you found us at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, as we are proud members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find that at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. While you're over there, make sure that you tune in all season on Tuesday and Thursday nights as we bring you post-game live on Channel BSR. You can find this show on lots of third-party platforms, including Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and iTunes if you really must. And if you find us on those uh, third-party platforms, please make sure that you rate and review this show. We really appreciate it. You can catch us on social media. We are on Google+. We're on Facebook. But we are most active on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. With that, Scott Magnus, what are you drinking this week? Jake, the drink of the week for me is a Bell's Brewery Two-Hearted Ale. It's an IPA with a little bit of a citrusy note to it. Um... I think it's a pretty darn good beer, in my opinion. Just started distributing into Maryland uh, in this past month. I would disagree with you, but I can't. Uh, first, because it's delicious. And second, because I'm also drinking that. Thanks, pal. No problem. Picking up your slack as usual. <laughs> All right. With that, let's talk briefly about the medical wing. I feel like there might be something important we should talk about. You mean Dylan Bundy being a huge bust? Easy. Easy. Huge bust is is dangerously loaded language but tell me more so dylan bundy today information came out from the beat writers that dylan bundy is in a hold and weight pattern evidently there is calcification in his shoulder joint um which individuals such as mariano rivera have had before in the past and it had required surgery there's debate within the medical community whether surgery actually has any benefit or it should just wait Dr. James Andrews, who was consultant in the practice, was bum, bum, bum. Yeah, was told, you should just wait, but he's never seen a degree of calcification within the shoulder to this degree. Um, it, it's a very rare situation, um, is what was quoted by Dr. James Andrews. So that sounds um, highly encouraging from the pitching shoulder of your one of your top prospects. Well, it's no big deal, because next year we can just stash him in the minors and he'll be fine. And Oh, wait. Except he doesn't have options, as everyone on this podcast should know, since we've talked about it before. So, yeah, this was pretty much our last shot to basically try to rehab him into a starter this season. And um, that sounds like it's not going to happen so next year it looks like we're going to be seeing uh, middle reliever in mop-up duty dylan bundy which is a great use of a first round draft pick so he's the jason garcia of next year's team huzzah um 
Other news, more positive though, Jonathan Scope is um, on rehab assignment um, and has been hanging around Camden Yards for the past few days. And uh, the Orioles can't seem to work out a roster move to get him back into the starting lineup. Yeah, there's there's something coming. It's something's brewing. And uh, I think the only thing that makes sense is that the Orioles are trying to swing a move or trying to at least wait as long as humanly possible to see if another injury or something creeps up so they don't have to DFA anybody. I did read one thing interesting. I was on Orioles Hangouts, and someone recommended that Jonathan Scope be optioned so that his service time didn't kick in to a certain point. Jake is giving a dismissive wank, uh, whacking motion there. So I'm taking that Jake doesn't think this is a valid argument. No, nah, not so much. I, I think at this point you just bring up Jonathan Scope. I think if service clock management uh, was important to the Orioles, the 2012 through 2014 would have gone far different. I mean, just look at you know Manny Machado, for instance. We all said mm-hmm. there's no way they're going to bring this guy up. They did it anyway. Look at the way they've managed their pitchers or mismanaged their pitchers. I don't really think that's a consideration for this club. Okay. Um, I also don't think he's I – mean, I love Jonathan Scope. I don't think he's a good enough prospect to – have the service time be a thing. Sure. Um, Adam Jones, of course, came back uh, this weekend, which was an encouraging sign. Huzzah for Adam Jones, so he's not going to be going to the disabled list. He's now appeared in two out of the last three games, this being on Monday night. Um, and then you've got the plethora of other players that are currently on rehab assignment, including Wesley Roy, Jason Garcia, all going through the motions right now, trying to get back up here. Um, certainly looks like it's going to be right around the all-star break. We're going to be Wesley Wright, um, if not a little bit later. I think that's the next big name that's going to be a question mark of if and when they come back up, who replaces them? And I don't know the answer to that at this time. Sure. All right. Well, with that, we're going to move right along to a little something we call This Week on the Twitters. First tweet comes from Rockabaco. You, of course, should be following him at Mass and Rock. And he says, so hashtag Orioles first round pick uh, DJ Star tweets he signed today. Past physical was in Baltimore yesterday. All right, that's good. That means we've got our first round draft pick, our first round supplementary draft pick, and we're just waiting around pretty much for our second round draft pick to sign. Not a bad haul for the Orioles, all things considering. You know, as much as we gave them grief, at least on this podcast, to a certain regard of um, maybe drafting a little conservatively, they did get a lot of their signings done, um, which is good for a team that is, well, has a pretty poor farm system, all things considering, and even with one of their top 100 prospects now being out for the rest of the season. Well, I think it's a really good point because the thing is, is that it's such a crapshoot anyway, and I think we're incredibly cr- uh, critical of the team when they uh, draft certain players, but when we really think that they've hit it out of the park, it's no guarantee. Right. It's absolutely no guarantee. All right, next on the uh, Twitters, we've got uh, a tweet from Hardball Talk. They tweet, of course, at Hardball Talk. And it says, Bob Costas plans to apologize to Pedro Strope for insensitive on-air comment. And there's a link to the article. Did you happen to hear that? I was watching the game. He's obviously pointing to the skies to ask for forgiveness from one of his dead relatives. All right, here's the thing. This all happens... Every time, every time something like this happens, there's this national debate of, is this the sissification of America? Do we have to apologize for every last thing? And then there's the whole business of, no, you know, this is a really offensive thing that he said. Look, I'm not coming down on either side, but what I will say is this. I would feel that Bob Costas should make much more of an apology if Pedro Strope would apologize to me for some of the heartache and heartburn that he put me through in 2012. 
Okay, that that's somewhat fair, but Bob Costas' comments were completely outlandish. And no, I heard them and I was like, <gasps> oh. um, you know, similar thing. We Orioles fans have a tendency to whine. Um, one of the tweets that I want to follow off of is Charm City Weather. You can follow them at Charm City WX, which I think is you know a great Twitter handle. They keep us updated on uh, uh, certain happenings with the weather in Baltimore. So I recommend following them. Some O's fans may be mad because it's not raining right at game time. But the logistics leading up to game would have seemed very difficult. And of course, this is in reference to Saturday's game being postponed and people being turned away from the gates, even though they may have been waiting down there. So um, just a... It was the right call to make on Saturday. Absolutely. And they talked about this on Baltimore Sports Today. Uh, Jabby and uh, Zach Wilt from Baltimore Sports Report discussed uh, a good call by a team. We beat them up when they make the bad call. No, I, I'm, I'm right with you. Next, I want to go to something tweeted out by your Baltimore Orioles, who tweet at Orioles. Today's victory, this was actually yesterday, uh, June 28th. Yes, uh, today's victory is the hashtag Orioles 5,000th regular season win in franchise history, hashtag Birdland. Um, sixty years, sixty years, five thousand wins. Is this an impressive mark or is this a pathetic mark? I, think, I don't know how to. I think it's very impressive. I, I don't know how to handicap that because the thing is, is that even though they were terrible for you know most of our lifetime, they were also very very good early on. So you know it's five thousand. Okay, it equates to eighty three wins per season. Okay, fair enough. So it's above average. I mean, even with the years of years of losing, you had years and years of winning back in the 60s and 70s. So it, it equates to a, a net positive. At least you're not the Phillies, basically. Right. At least I was just about to say, at least we're not hearing about the team's 10,000th loss. Totally great. Totally great. Um, all right. Next one on the Twitter. We have a tweet from... John Shepard, who you can follow at J-S-B-E-A-R-R. And, of course, he's the founder of Camden Depot. We always like our tip our caps over to those boys over there. Hashtag Phillies hire in McPhail today. He does not get enough credit for the hashtag Orioles success. Totally agree, John. And McPhail is a, a big reason why the Orioles are currently here. I remember looking back in the 2012 season and just seeing all the moves that transpired to get people into the organization, including Chris Davis as well. Um, and Tommy Hunter being on this team right now for Koji Yohara. So, again, another move made by Andy McPhail that sometimes doesn't get noticed by people. And I think it was John that continued to have a conversation on Twitter. It might have been. I I might be giving him too much credit for the conversation. But I did see on Twitter today somebody say, you know, I'm not really sure that Andy McPhail would have been able to make the moves to do what Dan Duquette has done. But on the other hand, I'm not really sure if Dan Duquette would have been able to build the foundation that Andy McPhail built for us. So I thought that that was a really interesting conversation and it's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, Andy McPhail basically built the Orioles into what they are. You know, all this looking back that we're doing, it's nice, but I think the objects in the mirror should be closer than they appear. Let's, let's look at recent history. All right, let's go to recent history and cover the bases. June is busting out all over. Because it's June. 
Yes, Jake, things are quite peachy right now in Birdland, and June has been a badder month for all of us. And uh, let's go through the records really qu- quickly. As of Monday night, June 29th, they are 18 and 8, 691 winning percentage. An average, uh, they've had similar success within the past. Jake, in terms of winning percentages, they've had similar marks in September of 2012, August of 2014, and September of 2014. Those sound like good months. Those were some pretty good days. Um, let's look back at June and figure out what the heck has happened. So the one thing is we haven't lost a series since the first week of June when we were visiting the Houston Astros. I have a quibble. Sure. They said it on the broadcast last night that the Orioles have failed to lose a series. Right. Uh, they were, I think it was, uh, six and one or seven and one or whatever it was. And I was like, what, what series did they tie? What series did they tie? No. They're talking about the fact that we won one of two in Philadelphia, Correct. and they consider that to be a single two-game series. No, that was a four-game series in two cities. I would agree with you about that, but technically by the stupid rules of series, that's technically different. Um, but yeah, the Orioles have been very dominant lately in series, but I guess my question to you, Jake, is when did this all turn around for you? Because we were talking about this watching the game one night, and we're like, it just feels different right now for some reason. And I just want to talk about, for you... What was the moment or realization that you had that things were starting to turn around? Well, it's it's weird because... Nolan Reimold, I knew it wasn't going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird because uh, that Philadelphia series was the Orioles going to play a bad team. And, you know, they won three out of four. And at the time, it would have been very easy to dismiss it and say, it doesn't mean anything. It's just the Phillies. But I really feel like that was the series in which things started to change. It felt different. And that was actually something that that you and I talked about here uh, recording the podcast a few weeks ago when the mic was off and we were watching the game. Uh, one of us said something to the effect of, Would, wouldn't it be strange if this were the time that we pointed back to and said, this is the time where everything turned around? And I think the play in question may have been Adam Jones's catch in center field, the mm-hmm. one that hurt him. After that, June really fell into place for the Orioles. All the things in April and May that went wrong at the same time went right at the same time for the Orioles. Yeah. The one game that really resonates for me that I said, this looks like the Orioles team that I've seen the past few seasons, was the June 10, 2015 game against the Red Sox. And it was in that second inning where we made three defensive plays back to back to back to back. So it was when Jones made a really nice play, and then we had the two corner outfielders making outfield assists um, as well. So... Um, I, I really think that was the inning that sh- touched it for me saying, yep, things are starting to turn around. This team is starting to play like they used to. I like what I'm seeing here. So um, it, it definitely has been an encouraging sign. They played like the Orioles of old in terms of um, using the home run to their advantage, but also timely defense and bailing their pitchers out in bad situations. I think it's really cool that for a team that has been built on the home run, a team who's you know vaunted bullpen we've talked about the last several years, you and I both picked defensive moments mm-hmm. as, you know, defining turnaround moments. And maybe that that goes to show why Buck Showalter is so fond of the defense. Yeah, I think so to a certain regard. So um, I'd like to actually go through the offense, though, um, and just kind of talk about some of the, the offensive hitters. One that I want to talk about obviously has to be Manny Machado, who was MLB Player of the Week this week. But in the month of May, he was absolutely, I mean, month of June, he was absolutely crazy. Seven home runs um, and a weighted runs created plus of 187. So 87% times better than a normal average player. Um, there was an article on ESPN today 
talking about Manny Machado and how he looks compared to other people. Again, very young player. And the comparison in terms of age profiles with Manny Machado to other players in the past put him in a similar profile to these four players, Hank Aaron, Miguel Cabrera, Ron Santo, and Adrian Beltre. I've heard of them. Yeah, those are four pretty darn good players. So, uh, And that specifically was looking at on-base percentage and slugging performances and looking at ratios between the two. So that's good company to be in um, for those four, four, four players. And I will you know, show my own ignorance here. I don't know what Hank Aaron's complete player looked like. Mm-hmm. Now, I know he hit a lot of home runs. Right. I don't know anything else about him. I know for a fact that Manny Machado act also affects this game with his glove. Mm-hmm. And there are times that he can take over that game with his glove, in addition to the fact that he's just been in fuego, as you mentioned, yeah. uh, offensively. Adrian Beltre is a good example of that, too, in terms of being a great, solid defensive third baseman. But Cal also Ripken's great. favorite third baseman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or is that Carl? Carl Ripken. Right. Um, but the other thing, too, that we've talked about on this podcast, and many people have talked about it in blogs, is the corner outfielders and having this dearth of productivity. And finally, it seemed like this month, um, the corner outfielders finally started produced through a platoon situation of Chris Parmley being promoted, Nolan Rymel being promoted, and Travis Snyder and Steve Pierce finally breaking out of the slumps that they've been in for the past two months. Um, however, in that same regard, Delman Young and David Lowe have continued to struggle offensively. The promotion of Chris Parmley and Nolan Rymel into the lineup and onto the active roster while it raised a few eyebrows of, I wonder how long we can do this, they were huge additions if you put them all together and look at them in a platoon situation. Absolutely. I mean, Parmalee looked great. Yeah. He looked absolutely great when he started. And uh, it's been really interesting to see how he's been used since. He he started in that right field platoon, as you mentioned, yeah. and has been getting a lot of uh, play at first base, uh, which I find really interesting. I find that to be really fascinating. I don't know, again, if it's trying to predict the post-Chris Tavis era or if it's literally, hey, he is not as good outside of his natural position in right field as Chris Davis is outside of his natural position. So we're going to make the, the field as best we can. I just think it's an interesting way to use him, uh, particularly because it seems like they want to keep Chris Parmley as much as possible in the lineup and get him comfortable with his bat. Yeah, Chris Parmley is not going to be free, uh, free agent until the 2019 season. So the Orioles would be able to control him. For many years to come, we've obviously seen their ability and want to hold on to players such as David Lowe, who are under club control for a significant period of time. Travis Snyder is another player like that as well. Um, I, I think it, you know, you come back and look at Chris Parmerly versus Chris Davis, and Chris Davis has played third base before, and he's played right field. And he's got a heck of an arm. You can see him turn double plays at first base really regularly because he's just got such a good arm. If you can put him in right field, and he actually has some decent range out there, he could serve as a much better alternative to, well, let's just say a Delman Young as a corner outfielder. Absolutely. And the other thing that you mentioned was uh, Nolan Reimold, who I, I think has been a really good addition to the club because even if he's just going to be the fourth outfielder, or in our case, the 400th outfielder, whatever it is, uh, he's got a great skill set. Obviously, the power is there. He uh, plays the plays defensively well. He plays defensively well enough to occasionally spell Adam Jones, which, by the way, should be making David Lowe very nervous. Yeah. Um, he, he runs hard to first every time he, he makes, you know, he makes plays with his legs. Uh, he does all those little things well. And, uh, when it's working for Nolan Reimold, I think he can be a great complimentary major league player. Not to mention, I like him in this platoon situation. Again, the whole concern with Nolan Reimold is, oh my gosh, he's going to be able to stay healthy and being able to alternate him with day on day off or take him off for a few days. 
allows him to kind of ride it. I also think Nolan Ryan will be playing a lot more right now if Jimmy Paredes wasn't absolutely going out of his mind. And Jake, let's just go through a few of those numbers for Jimmy Paredes. Um, he had a hot, cold month for April and May. Um, but this month, he's been absolutely amazing, posting one of the best uh, weighted runs created plus for the entire team. Um, there was talk before about Jimmy Paredes maybe being designated for assignment, saying, okay, mm-hmm. we rode the hot bat, now the bat went cold. But the bat has come back really hot. He's batting uh, with a batting average above 320, and he's actually hitting with some pop as well, which surprises everybody. Um, you know, I just think it's interesting. Jimmy Paredes is somewhat the Steve Pierce of this year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm really surprised that the bat came back. Yeah, I, I will shocked. fully admit that I said, you know what? We got as much as we could out of him. Yep. Great. Move on to the next one. Use him and they'll lose him. But good for Jimmy Paredes. And the other thing that it shows me is that maybe, just maybe, uh, the organization knows a little bit about what it's doing when it finds that fringe talent. Well, the other thing I wonder, too, is, you know, I, I'm wondering with that kind of fringe talent and being able to come back from it, too, let's not take away the aspect of Scott Kubal in this regard, too. Scott Kubal is known for being a very aggressive approach uh, batting coach. Um, I think, you know, you can take a look at some of the contact percentages that are up there. And it certainly seems to me like um, Paredes has adjusted his plate discipline to a certain extent. His chase percentage was one of the highest in Major League Baseball when he started to get cool. I'd really like to come back and take a look at his June numbers in terms of chase percentage to see if that plate discipline has improved slightly over this June time period. And I think it has based off me watching him. Absolutely. Last thing, I think that's a really great point about Scott Coolball. I think especially the, the, and, and when I say fringe, the, the bit players on this team are also elevating their level of play. And one guy that I want to draw attention to is Ryan Flaherty, mm-hmm. who has a, has had a really great couple of weeks, almost as if he knows that his time as a starter is coming to an end. But Ryan Flaherty has gone from being uh, a liability at the plate to being a guy who's providing quality at bats, who's turning the lineup over, who's driving in runs, all while playing second base at a high level. Um, he's been really fun to watch in this last couple of weeks. And I, I, again, I think that this is probably something that we can look at Scott Coolball and say, there's an effect here. Yeah. I think that Brian Flaherty is all right. It's definitely better than last year when we were having the conversation of like, dear God, we need to trade for a second baseman because we cannot continue this production at this dearth of second base. Yeah. But it, it just goes, to I mean, the, we talked about trading for Brian Roberts. It was that bad. Okay. <laughs> but it goes to show that I think Ryan Flaherty's value is shown in short stints and we're just waiting for him to go back to his bench spot when Jonathan scope shows up. Sure. Matt Weider's coming back too. um, this, this month was a huge benefit both for at the plate, but also for the pitching staff to a certain regard too. Um, but came back healthy and has continued to rake the ball just like he did in April, 2014 before he went out with his injury. So, Kudos for Matt Weeders for coming back and kind of being an additional step. It also helped because Caleb Joseph got really terrible at the plate for this month. Yeah, and I'm not really sure what to make of that. He just got cold. It's as simple as that. I mean, Caleb Joseph was absolutely amazing to start the year, but there's no way that you could expect that continued performance throughout the entire season. Absolutely. It's nice to have an all-star caliber catcher back. Can we talk about pitchers? Because I want to give you a tip of the cap. You, at the beginning of the season, were talking about Abaldo Menes and thinking that he was going to turn around this year, and so far he has... June was an amazing month for him. 4-0 record in six games, 3.03 ERA, and even his FIP was only 3.10, so a very good correlation. Uh, Case per nine was 10.6, and walks per nine was only 3.28 for him. That's pretty darn good. Uh, he looks like the pitcher that we signed, uh, you know, what we, what we were hoping to get last year. Um, and there was a great article on Fangraphs. So I recommend everyone go check it out to take a look at it. But it really emphasized the fact that 
Baldo Jimenez has really reduced his three ball counts, not getting so deep in the counts. Um, he's gone from 29.8% of his counts being three ball counts to 19.9%. That's a huge drop off. Again, limiting the pitch count, but also getting him into a good position there. He can throw that splitter and get people out in the whiff. One thing that you and I talked about on on Sunday when we were at the ball game is uh, Abaldo Jimenez, when he is at his best, is effective when his uh, breaking pitches are effective in the zone. Yeah, and that is something that I think that he's done a much better job of this season, not getting hit hard because he's throwing strikes with them and he's commanding the fastball well enough to keep them honest. And that's something that I I, I just cannot understate that he is pitching so efficiently. You know, he doesn't have the the velocity anymore. He has to. You know, I'm not saying he's a finesse pitcher, but he has to pitch. And last year we saw none of it, and this year that's exactly what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean. You think back to last year, and the Orioles, of course, were obviously trying to make uh, make uh, Jimenez work lower in the zone, but he could never have the command to do it. It certainly seems like he has learned to have the command lower in the zone. In fact, if you go and read that Fangraphs article, he's actually pitching more balls out of the zone, but it has enough movement where it drops out of the strike zone that batters can't hit it very well, or if they do hit it, his ground balls are in significantly up this year as well. So again, he's getting weak contact as well, allowing the great defense behind him to get outs for him. So. All right, so everything's awesome, right? Uh, not everything is awesome. The biggest issue I would say from the pitching side is the pitchers are just not getting deep in the games. Um, you know, besides Sunday's game where the pitchers were great, getting seven innings and eight innings, both Tillman and Jimenez, uh, Orioles have had a very difficult time getting deep into games, which has put a tax on the bullpen. Now, that being said, the bullpen has been lights out throughout June. They were the number one bullpen in all Major League Baseball during that time period. But the question has to be raised, just like we raised in 2012, is how long can that last, especially with putting that much of a tax on your bullpen? It's a good question. I, I will say that it's probably uh, we're probably in decent shape right now because, to go to a hackneyed phrase, every night is a different star. You know, it's not the same guys every night. I, I feel like I haven't seen Darren O'Day in forever. You know, uh, Chaz Rowe, Brad Brock, Tommy Hunter, everybody's throwing pretty well back there. Um, so you don't have to go to the same well every time. But your your point is well taken because if they don't start getting more innings out of their pitchers, those guys aren't going to be effective anymore. I think everyone will come back and point out Zach Burton has been absolutely dominant. But I think exactly what you point out to underlying stars such as Chaz Rowe, Tommy Hunter, and Brad Brock, not household names, but names that Orioles fans should know, have been absolutely uh, dominating out there on the mound. Uh, they deserve a tap cap just as much as Darren O'Day does in reality because Darren O'Day normally comes in as that setup man in the eighth inning. He gets a lot more credit. But Chaz Rowe, Brad Brock, and Tommy Hunter have been just as good at Darren O'Day at this time. I was dead wrong about Chaz Rowe. Yeah. I was dead wrong. You mean I thought the wizard? He, yeah, the wizard. <laughs> uh, I uh, I thought he was going to be pretty terrible uh, when he got here. And then I thought he was a flash in the pan. And then I've come to realize that for some reason he's an effective pitcher in Major League Baseball this year. And just like every other, you know, weird uh, signing that Dan Duquette's made, I'm going to ride this out as long as we can. Uh, but he's been phenomenal. Okay. Uh, any intangibles that you've seen this month? You know, thanks for the intangible question. I no appreciate problem. that. You, you, you spout off some numbers and you, you hand it off to me I for do. a few this, intangibles. Yeah. No, I, the only thing that I will say is that it's very easy to be in a club like this when they're winning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody's buddy-buddy. Everybody's having a good time. Does winning lead to more winning? I don't know. 
You're I, saying is winning contagious? I, I don't I don't know. And this is the kind of fluff that I come to you on the intangibles part of the segment. What I will say from the intangible standpoint is that it used to be that I watched baseball in April and May and I kept a scorecard of the different and sundry ways that they screwed up and let me down and made me miserable. And I haven't had that for a solid month. Okay. Kind of nice to watch. It is kind of nice to not watch. Um, I guess my biggest concern coming from all this is, yeah, we've played a few series against some good teams. The Yankees and the Blue Jays were the two teams I thought they were some good series at the Orioles one, specifically the Blue Jays series. That was mm-hmm. a big series. The Yankees series, I don't know. I can't always watch them, and I'm just not that impressed. The Blue Jays still impress me very much as a team. Oh, uh, they, they scare me. Yeah. The, they, the Blue Jays legit scare me. But none of the other series wins here have been like oh that was a really good series win i mean it's nice to get a win but it hasn't been a great series win i don't really feel like we played very good baseball teams and you know i'm not saying that we shouldn't take anything from this because again winning is winning and you've still got to win against major league baseball teams you still got to go and get three out of four against the phillies and it's great that the orioles did this they've had issues with doing that in 2013 for example yeah um but I think we've got to be careful of saying there's no way that the Orioles are going to continue this pace at 690. Look, from a sustainability standpoint, the Orioles are hitting the cover of the ball with runners in scoring position. Probably not going to last. Uh, you're looking at you know their ability to be offense production uh, in terms of run efficiency and run expectancy. Um, it's at like 40 plus right now, and it's right there with like the Blue Jays and the Yankees. There's not a good chance that all three of those teams are going to have the same run expectancy uh, like they did this 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 month. That's probably going to change, and it's probably going to go down. So you can expect July to maybe be a little less offensive heavy month, but in that same regard. It just means that somebody else is going to step up, and hopefully it's the starters that are going to step up and fill that void once the offense starts to lag a little bit. Yeah, that's got to be the difference. And you're right that it's not sustainable that everything's going you know, so well. But yeah. the thing is, is that everything sucked before all at the same time. Everything is going well at the same time now. you got to hope that that levels off. That, you know, when the, the offense has a rough night, the pitching's able to come through. When the pitching has a rough night, the offense is able to come through. That was a big part of 2014 because, again, you had Nelson Cruz in April and May, absolutely banner. And then Manny Machado and Steve Pierce were the saviors in June and July when Nelson Cruz decided to take off. Um, and then also the starters absolutely went crazy, too, um, and pitched out of their minds in July, August, and September of last year, too. So there was definitely a pick up the slack for everybody as it went on last season. You're absolutely right also that, you know, none of those series besides the Blue Jays series were really impressive. You know what I mean? And I thought the Blue Jays series was big. It was a bellwether. Mm -hmm. But I will say that all you can ask from a good team is that they beat bad teams. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're doing. So at least they're fitting the profile for now of being a good team. The question is, when the schedule gets tough, do they continue to look like that good team? So when the going gets tough... The tough get going. Does it look like Animal House to you? Okay. Well, you know, we really should just get, you know, a little bit more executive and try to get a little bit more official here. What do you say about, you know, making up uh, for some lost time on Saturday with that rain out and uh, addressing a few concerns that we have? I like it.
When Saturday's game got rained out, so too did the event for season ticket holders in which Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter were scheduled to provide the state of the Orioles. Now, since that event was canceled, we thought we would take it upon ourselves to provide all fans, not just season ticket holders, the true state of the Orioles. And so with that, I'm going to call on the bird's eye view sergeant-at-arms to get our proceedings started. Mr. and Madame Listener, I present to you the guy who talks on the internet. Mr. and Madam Listener, bloggers and podcasters, and you, my fellow Birdlandians. Today we are tasked with providing an honest and accurate state of our franchise. And I am pleased to proclaim that the temperature of our beer is cold. The history of this franchise is one that consistently rises from the ashes, like the phoenix of myth. From its first 100 lost season in Baltimore, this team became one of the sport's model franchises, whose Oriole way spread throughout baseball and netted six American League pennants and three world championships. Similarly, the Orioles endured 14 years of the dark period, to emerge, born again, as a powerful team to be reckoned with in the American League East. No longer a doormat, this once proud franchise has rediscovered its swagger. Its bats are thunderous. Its bullpen, dominant. Its starters, meh, good enough. Its defense, suffocating. 2012 delivered Orioles fans an unexpected joy a winning season, and a post-season appearance. Originally derided as smoke and mirrors, or simply luck, the Orioles put a team on the field that defied standard convention. Regardless of a lack of respect from the outside, Birdland could once again proclaim self-re-three-pecked, and more importantly, the audacity of strope, uh, I mean, of hope. 2013 brought another winning season, and although the Orioles faded down the stretch, the team played those elusive, meaningful games in September. Chris Davis donned his cape, and his crush alter ego made a push for AL MVP honors. The franchise's phoenix-like rebirth was on display as five Orioles represented the Orioles in the American League All-Star Game. 2014 brought the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. The team won its first AL East championship in 17 years, winning 96 games on the back of Nelson Cruz's home run leading performance. Despite the second consecutive season-ending knee surgery of Manny Machado, the team pressed on to sweep the Detroit Tigers out of the ALDS and turned to the ALCS as favorites. Until, of course, the unthinkable happened, and the upstart Kansas City Royals swept the Orioles in four games, stripping the joy from Mudville. And so here we stand. Nearly halfway through the 2015 season, this team has risen from the ashes of a listless April and May to become one of the premier teams in the American League. This team, which has won six straight series, has rediscovered the muscle in its lineup. 
From Manny Machado's emergence as an offensive weapon to Adam Jones's continued excellence, from key contributions from role players like Jimmy Paredes and Chris Parmalee, this team is scoring runs. The bullpen, which struggled mightily in the early portion of the season, has stabilized itself. What better Phoenix could there be than the career of Chaz Rowe? This journeyman whose Orioles magic style slider has delivered so many key outs. Or Darren O'Day, whose proclivity for loading the bases in key situations is matched only by his ability to then strand them. Failed starters like Tommy Hunter and Zach Britton closing the door and putting the Orioles safely in the win column. Yes, the state of our franchise is strong, but not perfect. Far from perfect is the starting rotation, which refuses to go deep into games. Stalwarts such as Chris Tillman and Bud Norris have let their teammates down when they needed them the most. Stopcap Mike Wright has proven to be ineffective. One of the franchise's brightest jewels, Kevin Gaussman, can't stop being yo-yoed long enough to make consistent starts. But through this mess, the Orioles have been winning. And if we've learned one thing from this team, it's that the next rebirth is right around the corner, and that the rotation is surely to be able to hold its own. What better example of this principle can we provide than Abaldo Jimenez? Jimenez, whose greatest contribution to 2014's team that won 99 games was that he tripped over a pothole at the right time to send himself to the DL. That guy has turned himself into an effective starter. For once, we live in an era in which the Orioles' greatest enemy is not from within, unless you discount the possible defection of its general manager, but rather from the outside. Consider our foes in the AL East. We have witnessed the complete collapse of the once-proud Boston Red Sox and the end of the dynastic New York Yankees. But we must be wary. Just because these teams are no longer the beasts of the East, these teams constitute an axis of evil, arming to threaten the tranquility of our sport. By seeking budgets of mass destruction, these regimes pose a grave and growing danger. They could provide such rosters to their fans, giving them the means to spread their messages of hate. If left unchecked, such emboldened fans could overwhelm Birdland. In this case, the price of indifference, as seen in the dark period, would be catastrophic. Yet we stand on guard in what can best be described as the Showalter Doctrine. His arrival in Baltimore was a moment when we stood up and declared ourselves a relevant franchise. That occasion has been judged proper for asserting, as a principle in which the rights and interests of Birdland are involved, that Oriole Park at Canyon Yards and its rightful sphere of influence, by the free and independent condition which they have assumed and maintain, are henceforth not to be considered as subjects for future colonization by any team on the eastern seaboard. We should consider any such attempt on their part to extend their system to any portion of Birdland to be dangerous to our peace and safety. So the verdict is clear. The rebirth of this franchise only works if Orioles fans also emulate the Phoenix. Beaten into submission by terrible teams and the onslaught of opposing fans, they were hopeless and mistrustful of the great progress that had been made. But the time has come to make good on that promise that fans made in 2014 when they declared with one voice, we won't stop. Take, for example, the story of Nancy Cook. 
Nancy, a retiree from the Baltimore County public school system, took her years of public service to work on another cause she cared about, the rebirth of a passionate Orioles fan base. Her grassroots efforts using social media and networking in Oriole games and other events, Nancy and her team gave a voice to the Oriole fans who wanted to literally wear their team pride on their sleeves. Wear Orange Wednesday and Nancy's story is our story. It represents the fire inside all of us, the fire of the Phoenix, demanding a proud and vibrant fan base to match the team. One last thing, as much as possible, be a united fan base. Difference of opinion is a natural human condition, but the way we approach it can distinguish us from those others in baseball. Social media has created a generation of armchair experts in every field. Sports management, medicine, psychology, economics, the list goes on and on. In a quest to prove that we are the smartest person in the electronic room, we are easily driven to pride, arrogance, and vitriol. Needless vitriol spit at fans who are just as passionate as we are about the team we love. These are strangers who at a ballpark you would randomly high-five in celebration of a game-winning home run. Take to heart, O's fan, that this winning period is fun because it is a collective experience. As much the team and the fan base as much as the team and the fan base's swagger reemerges, let us not lose our humility, our humanity, and our good-natured ability to laugh at ourselves. Winning is so much more fun when it is collective. Did we win last night? Strangers ask the morning after an Orioles game. It's the way it should be. Look to the example of Mr. Oriole himself, Brooks Robinson, who famously said that O's fans, he didn't consider them to be fans. He considered them to be friends. And that, my fellow Birdlandians, is the message. Be present. Be loud. Be positive. Be deck yourselves in orange. Be one. Be the fan that these this team deserves. Be the fan base that you have wished for through the dark period. Each of us cannot give our all at all times, and this is where, why every night we as fans can provide a different star. It's the magic of Orioles baseball. My fellow Birdlandians, the temperature of our beer is cold. The wind column overwhelmingly has a bird on it. We've made it through some hard times. 76 games into this new season, we have picked ourselves up, dusted ourselves off, and begun again the work of remaking Birdland. We have laid a new foundation. A brighter future is ours to write. Let us begin this new chapter together, and let's start that work right now. Thank you. May Orioles Jesus bless you and bless these Orioles that we love.
Yes, Jake, you are the boss once again. The contest is tied five to five to one now. Jake, last week's stat was slugging percentage. I had went with Matt Wieters, who posted a 538 slugging percentage. Certainly not terrible. But Jimmy Paredes, who you picked, was absolutely on fire this week in terms of slugging. He had an 833 slugging percentage. Well done, sir. You've tied this game up after I thought you know, the season was pretty much over. Yeah, it looked pretty ugly for the good guys, but uh, we've managed to pull it back to uh, 500. So it's a it's a new game. New game. It's a new game. We're gonna go uh, hard at it here with Fantasy Boss. Uh, I'm gonna pick a stat that I know less about than you do. Okay. And when I say less, I'm gonna say way less. Okay. I'm intrigued by RE24. Sure. And I'd like you to walk me and the listener through it a little bit to help me make a somewhat intelligent decision. I feel like we've had this stat on for our fantasy boss before, but basically what RE24 is, it looks at um, run expectancy and determines how much above average you perform in terms of the normal run expectancy. And people have normally seen us post the chart of run expectancies of if there's a man on first and second and there's one out, then you're expected to score like 1.2 runs in that situation. Um, that's not always going to happen. Occasionally you'll have a double play and you score no runs. At that point, you would have a negative value going into your RE24. But if you were to hit a home run, for example, then you would gain 1.8 points into your RE24. So it looks at the situation and determines how much better or worse do you do in that given situation compared to the historical average. Okay. Um, so this is a comparative average uh, stat. How is it different than some of the offensive uh, statistics like, for instance, weighted runs created plus that give you that uh, range above you know, or below 100 that shows you what that average is. Weighted runs created plus specifically looks at it from an aspect of generating um, runs specifically at by itself, but RE24 specifically looks at it of determining, of determining how well you do in certain performance characteristics as opposed to just saying, great you hit a single or great you hit a home run. It actually attributes also saying, well, you also hit with runners on base. So for the Orioles, for example, um, they did a great job this month of hitting with runners in scoring position. And according to that, their RE24 was skyrocket this month. Uh, it was like 40.83, which is an enormous number. Um, most months, the Orioles in the past few years have been like 10, negative 3. So right around the average, 40 plus is um, it's it's insane. So there's no way the Orioles are going to continue that uh, going forward. Um, but we're not here to pick the Orioles. We're supposed to pick players for it. So, Jake, um, I guess I get to pick, right? For, this since this, I'm the, is, I'm the this loser. is your moment. All right. Um, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Manny Machado. Manny Machado is a great pick. He was my pick, but you uh, you get the uh, the chance there. I am going to go with Jim Paredes and okay. hope that ride I on. can ride him yeah. for another week. One of the other people that I would think would be interesting would be J.J. Hardy, who's also done a very good job of hitting with runners in scoring position. He's really has been hitting the ball very well lately. Um, I think he would have been a dark horse candidate to pick this week as well. But Jimmy Prez is an excellent selection as well. Uh, with that, I think it's a time we uh, dive over and determine who else has been performing so well. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. All 
That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, I'm going to send you off and have you do it first this week. So uh, go ahead and give me your good for the week. All right, my good for this week, it's a strange pick, but I'm going with Ryan Flaherty. I really liked what I saw out of Flaherty this week. And I think, you know, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I think it has to do with, with the following. One is my standard expectation for Ryan Flaherty. And the second is that I know that his time as a starter is limited. And he made it, he made it count this week. Uh, he did a bang up job this week. He was uh, six for 20 with a, a double, five RBIs, two walks, like we talked about a little bit earlier. Turn the lineup over, timely hitting not being a liability, not being a hole at the bottom of the lineup. Ryan Flaherty really got it done this week, and uh, and it was good to see, especially because, like I said, the hourglass is running thin for him as a starter at second. That may be the worst pity good I've ever heard in my life. Look, everybody is performing well. Yes, but if there's good for this week, it's got to be Jimmy Paredes, who absolutely dominated, especially since he got you fantasy balls this week. Again, 8.33 slugging percentage, a WOBA of 5.89, a weighted runs created plus of 290, Jake. 290. That sounds good. That's really, really good. He had a banner week. He's obviously the good for the week. Well done, Jimmy Paredes. Keep it up. Swinging Jimmy. Um, Bad Jake, who you got? Me. Oh. For so many reasons, but this specific one... We're picking Ryan Flaherty, gotcha. <laughs> Actually, it's for hating on Travis Snyder oh, so okay. hard. Because, again, Travis Snyder, I, I have been awfully hard on. Uh, he showed it really well uh, last night, obviously, with the great play and the home run. But uh, I feel like Travis Snyder and the playing time that he's gotten has has stepped up and has either tried to get himself traded, <laughs> if that's what's going on, or made a case for himself staying on the team over some of the other candidates in the corner outfield spot. So uh, this is on me for uh, for being a little too harsh on Travis Snyder. It's not like you wrote an article saying, you know, we should uh, pack your lunchbox because that person deserves to be shipped out. Uh, not so much. No. Uh, the bad for the week, obviously, is going to be Caleb Joseph. In his 10 plate appearances this week, uh, he posted a 100 batting average, a 100 on base percentage, and a 100 slugging. Negative 59 weighted runs created plus. Ouch. That's pretty poor. Again, small sample size, but Caleb Joseph has been pretty poor throughout the whole month of June. Thank goodness that Matt Wieters is back in the lineup more consistently. Here, here. All right, my ugly for the week, it's going to go out to the Orioles front office. Mm. I'm giving it to the Orioles front office this week because they have failed to resolve the obvious roster crunches that they've got going on right now. And frankly, waiting around to bring up Jonathan Scope and waiting around to figure out what to do with Kevin Gosman doesn't put the best 25 guys on the team. And I know they want to make sure that we present the best 40-man roster. And that's hugely important. I get that. But I feel like some of the uh, some of the answers are just so obvious. First, some of the starters aren't cutting it. They simply can't hack. And as you so well stated earlier, eventually that's going to hurt the bullpen and everything's going to come crashing down like a house of cards. Bud Norris cannot continue to do what he's done this season. He simply cannot. Mm-hmm. That's the move that you make to make room for a more effective starter like Kevin Gosman. Or if that guy is not here, make a move. Obviously, the the other choice on the other side of the field, I think, is Delman Young. Delman Young has not been the guy that he was last year. Maybe he's overexposed. I know that our, our colleague Zach Wilt over at the Baltimore Sports Report says that he wants Delman Young in the bench. I think we've got plenty else on the bench. I don't think this guy has a role in the team anymore that is not already being aptly 
uh, filled by another player. So I'm going to this week to the Orioles front office for not taking the low hanging fruit and making this team better while things are riding high. Yeah, I don't even listen to that, what that Zach was says. You know, he doesn't even know what weighted in plus is. So if he doesn't know that, I mean, what's the point? It's not like he listens to this podcast. Uh, but I'm coming back to the Dowen Young thing. I think that's an interesting thought by a lot of people, and I know that's been a topic of concern. But you know, you look at Dowen Young and you look at Nolan Reimold. The question is, who do you have more faith in? Do you have more faith in Nolan Reimold, or do you have more faith in Dowen Young? Personally, I look at Dowen Young over his entire career, and the numbers are just not that impressive. And I know Orioles fans are reminiscent about it from game two of last year. But in all honesty, he had a lot of nice pitch hitting situations in 2014. But besides that, he hasn't really shown that in 2015. So uh, I'm going to go to my ugly. Uh, My ugly is an obvious one. It should stick out to anybody that has watched Orioles baseball over the past few days. It's got to be that grass patch in front of the pitcher's mound. Oh, it is horrible. It just sticks out like a sore thumb on that beautiful, beautiful field. And, you know, for as well as the groundskeeping crew keeps that field, to have a blemish patch like that in front of the diamond just makes it seem like, just makes it seem a little less pure. So it's got to be the ugly for the week is that grass patch right in front of the pitcher's mound. Is it ugly? Is it weather damage? What is that? Uh, I don't know, but I know it appeared right after the torrential rain. But apparently it was just a worn piece of the grass. But uh, whatever they put in its place, it's not even close to looking the same. So some beautiful astroturf. Uh, it's, I don't think it's astroturf. I think I, I think it's real grass. But I just don't think it's blended in quite right just yet. Hopefully it'll get there this season. If it doesn't, I'm really not looking forward to seeing it for the rest of the season. So that's my ugly for the week. All right, uh, blowing the save time. Blow it. All right, blowing the save. I'm going to get on my on my soapbox and just point out that uh, this past Friday. Uh, marriage equality was passed in the Supreme Court. I know there's a lot of controversy with a lot of our listeners. I've gotten a few grabs from people about this, but it, me and Jacob talked about this. This is probably one of the greatest uh, civil uh, rights issues of our generation. Um, whether you are for it or against it, um, based off of your opinions, beliefs, or your religion, um, that's fine. Um, I just think it's a very big moment and it's a time for us to step back and reflect on our country, uh, tip our cap to our country for understanding it. And uh, I I certainly appreciate it um, being in the situation that I am with my family. So uh, that's all I want to say as far as blowing the safe tip of my cap, sir. Yes. All right. Well, with that, I think that's about as political as we're going to get. It wasn't even me. I know. Well, we were actually w- much worse in the past. So uh, that's about as uh, political. And uh, if you want political and liberalness, uh, you need to go turn into the Baltimoreans who apparently have an episode in the can. I'll believe it when I see yeah, it. This is, you're on notice, Sam and Alan. Let's get that episode out. Gentlemen, I miss you. Yeah. I miss you. Um, anything else you want to go with? I have nothing else at this point. So Baltimore and Beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. I can't believe you gave a State of the Union with the Orioles losing 8-1. to one. It was poorly timed. It's what I do. Yeah. That's how the children came about, wasn't it? <laughs> it's a good thing your wife doesn't listen to this podcast. Not a little bit.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.